Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. We have an episode for you today that is going to delight and entertain you to the nth degree. Promises, guarantees, no doubt about that. Uh, and it's one that's been a long time coming. Uh, one of the OGs in the content creation space and uh, you know, among uh, the gambling community. Uh, a guy that has his finger on the pulse of the baseball industry, the baseball market, and the baseball—you know, just the just the betting space around the MLB. Uh, somebody who uh, we followed for a long time. Uh, Andy, would you say uh, one of your first kind of people that you were introduced to to in the gambling space? Yeah, we've told stories a few times about like how we got into gambling Twitter. And some of that, and my, you know, my first gambling Twitter account was kind of the, you know, it was the NROP thing. We had a good laugh about that. And I'm like, I'm just going to get rich. This guy's just giving out free plays on Twitter. Like, the, you know, that was kind of laughable. But, you know, in, in the sports media side of, you know, listening to stuff, definitely the first podcast I ever listened to that talked about sports betting was Bang the Book. And it was, it was like a, I think it was right in the area where you got into the daily stuff. Like I, I found it like right at the end of the summer. So it was to the point where it started to, you switch to the daily, the daily podcasts. So it was nice. I had, I had a job at the time where I was listening to a lot of podcasts and radio anyway. So it was nice having a daily podcast and yeah. Adam Burke was one of the first people to fill my ears with gambling content. Well, without further ado then let's welcome our guest. First ever appearance in the deep dive. Appreciate all that you do for providing content to people uh, in the gambling space. Welcome to the deep dive, Mr. Adam Burke. I appreciate it, boys. I guess first thing I got to do here is apologize to Andy for uh, popping his sports betting podcast cherry. I'm sorry it had to be me, man. <laughs> I can. And funny, I just I can't believe I didn't even think of this either. Um, I remember. I, I mean, this is way back. I, I even tweeted at you. Uh, when you would do your super contest pick stuff and you picked against the Viking, this is back before I just <laughs> came dead inside and didn't love my Vikings anymore, but you picked against the Vikings like four weeks in a row and you were doing well in the contest. Just every week the Vikings pick was wrong. And then they went on by and I, I tweeted you about that. I'm like, well, you can't pick against the Vikings this week. And you brought it up on the podcast. You said, somebody said, I can't pick again. I'm like, Oh, that was my tweet. Like, I, I made it. I'm, I'm on the podcast, I felt like I was famous. Oh, that's great. Was, I made somebody listen to it and showed him the tweet. I'm like, that was me. <laughs> wow. So, no big right deal. That's <laughs> oh, fucking great. I don't think uh, I've even right. told Whale that story. That was funny. No, I haven't heard that before. I love it, though. What a great story. Um, okay. Well, uh, to introduce the listeners to those of you who, uh, you know, if you're if you're new to uh, bang the book. If you're new to Adam Burke, where can they find your information on Twitter? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at skating tripods. And, uh, I don't have much to say on there, but you know, I, I try to share a lot of the good work that we do over at the website and, uh, been whoring out my MLB betting guide here over the last couple of weeks. So I guess if you follow me, you've, uh, you've seen those tweets. Yeah, this was a no-brainer. We had to reach out to you to bring you on after I kind of – I saw that. I downloaded it. I got into it. I was like, wow, this is great. This is a really cool compendium compendium of work. It would be very worthwhile to kind of spread the information that uh, 
you know, this is out there and get your opinion on some of the topics surrounding baseball betting, because, you know, this is something that we lightly cover. Like this is a super important part of the sports betting landscape. And we pretty much just kind of let it go by without giving it much due and attention uh, the last handful of years. So this is uh, this will be a ton of fun uh, to dive into this today. And um, I guess, is there a story behind skating tripods? Yeah, skating tripods, uh, believe it or not, I, I used to play hockey, and we were a beer league hockey team called the Skating Tripods, and uh, our logo was actually the Shocker. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how that came to pass, but uh, we were very good at drinking and not very good at hockey. So, you know, we, we've okay. it's disbanded, okay. but the name lives on through me, I guess. Just a well-endowed hockey team, I understand. Um, okay, how about, uh, how about Bang the Book? You've been uh, doing uh, content there for good long time right like going back to the 20 2011 2012 yeah i think i actually started with bang the book about 2013 i think we did our first uh, college football podcast august of 2013 and we we're doing college football and nfl you know once a week at the time and then i think maybe 2016 or so we kind of transitioned over to doing a daily show uh through football and basketball and i just uh, kind of a jack of all trades covering a lot of stuff over there even stuff i don't necessarily like I wind up, uh, you know, researching it and, and studying it and all that. But uh, you know, it's it's been a fun ride. I think it'll be seven years here coming up in a couple of months. And uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty proud of the work that we do. Pretty proud of the work that I've been able to do there. And uh, you know, it's 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 always nice to hear that people you know respect and appreciate your work too. And and I really appreciate the kind sentiments from both you guys here so far. Oh, I love it. Well, um, I always come to read the uh, tennis articles myself. I was a big tennis guy. Uh, I love reading the uh, the tennis futures. You can't get that information anywhere else. No, uh, Big Ten Watto, good dude. <laughs> He's guy. Yes, yeah, we like it. Yes. We like that guy. And yeah, it is like uh, you know, like you said, getting into sports you might not even want to get into. That's the nice <laughs> yeah. part about kind of the uh, uh, the format that you do, where you bring in a bunch of different people, and you know, different people have different expertises, and you can actually get some you know knowledgeable voices on you know maybe some of the stuff that you're not as knowledgeable on. That's always nice to. I mean, the, that way you're you're not just faking it and half-assing it. You're getting somebody on here who really knows. And I mean, obviously, I don't have to tell you, you learn a lot that way too. Yeah, I like the Noops uh, NBA lately too. It's been pretty pretty solid. So yeah, th- thank you guys. Are you guys are headed uh, in the right direction in terms of accumulating talent that are you know that we particularly appreciate. So good job. Um, and um, you guys do a daily. You, do you still do a daily podcast? Yeah, still do it Monday through Friday. That'll run through uh, the national championship game. And then I'll be doing Monday, Thursday, uh, MLB only shows called the betters box where I just sort of, uh, you know, I talk about some of the results that have happened, some of the, you know, misleading types of things, uh, talk about line movements out there in the marketplace and just some things I'm kind of looking ahead to for the week, you know, cer- certain pitching matchups, um, you know, certain matchups where maybe a lineup. I don't think is going to match up that well against a starting pitcher, something like that. Those tend to run about 35, 40 minutes every Monday and Thursday. And hell yeah. You know, I got to say, I mean, I I understand why you guys don't do baseball. I mean, first of all, as somebody who does baseball, it's a fucking grind. But, you know, the, the the season starts as March Madness is ending, and the season runs right on through, you know, the NFL and college football. And, it's really tough to divert your time from basketball and football to focus on something like baseball. So I understand why a lot of people don't try to tackle it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very difficult market to keep up with day in and day out, especially when you're at the start of the year and at the end of the year, you're just pulled in different directions. 
Yeah. Mm, I yeah. Think there's so much I love about it. Like I love baseball. I love going to games. If I was, if I had like um, out of all my teams here, my fandom rings the most true for the twins. I love going to a great stadium, great team. I love watching baseball, even listening to baseball on the radio. And honestly, from a betting standpoint, it just, there's so much that just, I don't know. Like I love about having a huge sample size. There's 2,500 games a year. Like uh, that, that in itself, like that's one thing I hate about the NFL as much as I love the NFL. It's such a small sample size. It feels like with, with baseball, you just have so much to pick from. You could be a little choosier and still get a decent size, you know, uh, volume of bets out there, or maybe you can take a smaller edge and exploit it for and make some decent money just because there's 2,500 damn games or a small <laughs> edge in the NFL. You, you might make six bets all year and you're happy to go for and two, but it didn't really put much uh, money in your pocket. So uh, every year I start building a baseball model. And then, like you said, I just, I realize I don't have any time and end up just uh, playing some stuff other people do and, you know, paying attention once the playoff comes, but no, uh, it's, it's cool because it is such a, I don't know what you want to say about you know, just the fact that it's a pitcher and a hitter until the ball's put into play. You know, it, it, there is so much, so much stats. So we talked about this. I think we touched on this a little when we talked to PETA back in the day, uh, you know, when we did some baseball and golf with him, you just have that, that independent event, one pitch being thrown to one batter. And until it's put into play, like there's so many stats built around that. And even stats you, where you start taking the defense out of things. And I think, I think that's, you know, alluring to a lot of betters and who are getting into the analytics side of things. So, mm. yeah. And I guess speaking of the analytics side of things, um, is your, do you, you have a pretty decent background kind of covering the kind of the growth of sabermetrics and weaving that into handicapping. And I guess, I guess, you know, just is base is baseball kind of your for, first sport, first love from a, from a sports betting standpoint. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, growing up in Cleveland, you know, when I was a kid, the Indians were in that run in the 90s, you know, and, and, and the Browns were gone from 95 until, you know, they started back up in 99 again. Uh, the Cavs weren't anything special at that point in time. And, you know, I did play hockey, but I we didn't have an NHL team, you know, so I just gravitated towards baseball and baseball's always been my one passion. But then I started writing for some uh, for some Cleveland sports blogs in the mid 2000s, 2004 to 2007 or so, 2008, and I wanted to know why the Indians made the decisions that they did. You know, because even back then they were still labeled as this you know small market team that couldn't go out there and pay free agents a bunch of money. So I wanted to find out you know what made them tick, what it was about their front office that led to their decision making process. And it was about 2005 or, or 2006 or so that. You know, I kind of found sabermetrics. I started to really get into it and, and really analyze them and, and try to understand them because I always felt there was a method to the madness for why the Indians are picking up, you know, this platoon guy who kind of sucks, but, you know, sometimes he doesn't. Well, what, what do they see in this guy? Or, you know, why they're picking up some of these relievers, some of these matchup relievers, stuff like that. And it just kind of led me down this this deep, dark hole that, you know, it. Uh, I guess it's to a degree kind of made a career for me. But at the same time, you know, it, it's something where, once you start looking at the game analytically and once you really start to focus on it in a role like I'm in, it takes some of the fandom out of the equation because you, you just can't afford to have that as much. You know, I mean, mm. I still have it for the Indians, but it's like I have favorite players around the league or anything like that. I have some inherent biases because I believe more in teams that have gone all in with the analytic approach. But by and large, I mean, I, 
I don't see players anymore. You know, I, I see numbers. I see statistics. I see, you know, fan graphs data, stat cast data, whatever it is. It's a very different way of looking at the game. And, and it's something that, you know, did take some getting used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Um, I've always kind of stayed away from baseball betting because I felt like I didn't have, um, you know, a good, a deep enough understanding of like really what matters, you know, like, I, like obviously there's, as Andy pointed out, like there's an enormous sample size of games. There's an enormous, enormous sample size of at bats and, you know, even, you know, just pitches. And so it lends itself to an approach where if you're, you know, if you can handle the data science side of this, you should be able to do well. But, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like I need to understand the game a little bit more in order to kind of know what matters and what doesn't in order to kind of do a decent job of building a predictive model. So I've always kind of stayed away. Uh, and then, of course, you know, something like trading bases comes along and like, you know, kind of re, you know, resets the entirety of the market in terms of how, you know, many, many people are approaching it from a, you know, model building standpoint. And at that point, like now I'm so far behind, I just can't, uh, you know, I can't get caught up, can't get involved at all. It's like, it's, it's way beyond me. So I, I don't know, is, is there, uh, in, you know, I guess, is there, um, how do you clear, catch up? Yeah, I guess. How, how do, do we how do we up? get well caught up? How, how do I catch up? It, you know, has your approach evolved over the years? And I guess, what do you think of kind of the current state of the baseball market? Yeah, I, I mean, getting caught up now is is really difficult because you know I know that you've kind of talked to guys, and and I was talking off air, but with uh, Whale about this earlier this afternoon that you know a lot of the modeling crowd last year just didn't really find a whole lot of edges. A lot of numbers were kind of hammered down to where they should be. The market was molded really, really well. So. You know, a lot of guys kind of gave it up in, in June or July last year. I should have given it up because I was doing really shitty, but instead I, you know, tried <laughs> to stick with it. Um, but it's one of those things, you know, it's kind of fascinating to see how the market has evolved. And I think last year, maybe I tried to do a little bit too much to counteract what I was seeing out there in the market, because it mm. used to be, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, you, know, you would have a pitcher with a high ERA, let's say at a 550 ERA, maybe a 410 FIP fielding independent pitching. And then a 340 XFIP. And without fail, the line would move on that guy because XFIP and FIP are thought to be a little bit better of predictive metrics than ERA. ERA takes into account defense, luck, things of that sort. FIP and XFIP are comprised of strikeouts, walks, hit by pitches, and home runs. So the theory is that those are things that a pitcher can control. Whereas, you know, as Andy was talking about earlier, when the ball hits the bat, the pitcher no longer has any control over anything that happens. So people were kind of dismissing ERA at that point in time, looking at FIP, looking at XFIP, and those lines would move 35, 40, 45 cents. Nowadays, you still see those moves, but you see more scalping. You see more buying back, more trading, where a line will move 25, 30 cents overnight or very early in the morning, come back 10 or 15 cents as people just kind of you know, arbitrage the market. So that's a big difference that I've seen. And in fact, too, some lines, you know, potentially could be shaded a little bit more that way, expecting action to come in on mm. those guys, because it's something very, very easy to just look up on an individual pitcher, individual pitcher level. Mm. Well, that's an interesting, Boy. that's an interesting observation. Remember this afternoon, mm. what we talked about, how we need a betting exchange here. Yeah. What a oh, what yeah. a perfect sport for yeah. for a betting. I, I don't know how much how much uh gets traded on some of the European betting exchanges in Major League Baseball. I'm sure they're more interested in cricket, but boy, that's 
That sounds like it would be a, a hoot. Man. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Um, so I guess, um, I don't know, I guess have, so then specifically towards your approach, like, I guess, have you, I, I, how would you define your approach then? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not smart enough to be a modeler. I, I just, you know, I've, I've never had that kind of skill set. You know, my background, I, I got a, a degree in mass media communication, which, Hey, at least I'm using my degree. Most people can't say that. Um, but my second major was in history. So I've always been a really good researcher. I've always been good at, you know, interpreting a lot of data, interpreting a lot of things. So I kind of consider myself, I guess, more of like a matchup dependent handicapper in the sense that, you know, I'm looking for strengths and weaknesses of the pitcher, of the offense, of the defense, but then also applying that, you know, on more of a micro level to how is this pitcher going to do against this team? You know, if you've got a right-handed pitcher that throws a lot of sliders, throws a lot of curveballs, those are things that are going to run away from a right-handed heavy lineup to the point where they're not going to hit for power. They're not going to hit for a high slugging percentage. And right now in the current state of Major League Baseball, you have to hit for power. I mean, you just have to. Otherwise, you're not going to win a whole lot of games. So I really dig as deep as I possibly can into the metrics that are out there, into the matchups. It helps to have a wide base of, of knowing a lot of these players and pitchers, but that's, that's kind of what it is for me. You know, I've just, uh, the, the modeling thing is truth be told, it's kind of always been over my head. So I guess I'm gambling, you know, a little bit more than others, but <laughs> you know, I think that, uh, you know, my, my approach is something that I, I feel pretty confident in and, and, you know, I try to make those adjustments year in and year out based on what's happening out there. Mm. I don't, man, it's, just, it's yeah. baseball. I mean, it's still just baseball and like having a, having a full understanding of things like, you know, like Adam just brought up, it, it makes me think of, you remember we talked a little baseball with uh, Christian Pina last year and he said something about, you know, something with his first five unders. I mean, having an understanding of the pitcher, the matchup, the team he's pitching against, and then the market, because he said, you know, there's, there's a certain point where the, the market can't move anymore. They're not going to set a first five under at one run or one and a half runs. They just can't do it. So eventually, like, just, just where they're stuck in the market, it's going to start showing some value if you can interpret the matchups and, you know, how a certain pitcher will pitch against the lineup. And it's, there's just going to be edges there just by being able to, like Adam said, interpret data, maybe kind of an underrated yeah. skill, finding finding data, setting context to it, and properly interpreting it. That's, Dude, this that's, is, that's, that's this a skill is, set. Let's, let's spend a little more time on this because this is something that I think is often lost. There are a lot of people out there who <clears throat> absolutely fundamentally understand the data science part of this stuff. And they can, you know, they can design algorithms, they can design machine learning processes that will spin, spin, um, uh, you know, circles around kind of your average better, right? Your average player. And, but what we're talking about here is I think something that is commonly overlooked and maybe kind of as the machine learning side of this becomes more and more prevalent among the market makers, I feel like there should open up more edges if you can identify specific spots, situations, angles, and kind of, you know, like, like you were mentioning about the first five unders, like, you know, Hey, look, these, I'm, I'm not even saying that there is, you know, that the, that the median expectation is wrong here. I am just telling you that this pitcher against this lineup 
is more likely to create an outlier performance, which would never, you know, could never be captured by the market overall, right? Because the market, like you said, the market will, you know, it has a, has a stopping point where, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, even if the, you know, the best pitcher against the worst lineup is, you know, still expected to give up one or two runs in five innings, like, you know, there's like a, there's a, uh, you know, a, a hard limit on what a median expectation is going to be. But, uh, you know, if you can identify the small things that, kind of spell an outlier in terms of a matchup like that's kind of a lot of you know that's kind of a a lot of um you know the way that we handle nfl handicap it is how we handle it well it makes me think of the like what adam said and i guess that's this is just going to spin into another question you know you said you're able to identify eventually i don't even remember what the spot was because you're throwing so many acronyms and i'm so bad at the baseball acronyms now but you said you know people eventually everybody was able to identify the spot with the starting pitcher and you're having huge moves right off the bat because it was an easy to identify you know spot and you know eventually you're going to start running into stuff like that where you know, are you looking for spots like that where you just know, hey, this is going to get hit, and I have some information that I think maybe is, you know, conducive to betting the other side of this, and I'm going to wait. I think you can have some big advantages in market entry if you understand a market well. I mean, not even just understanding baseball, yeah, but understanding exactly. the market yeah. and how how the betters in the market are going to react to something like that. I mean, is that starting to become a thing? Is just more and more people are betting using using all these advanced analytics? Yeah, I think so, because, you know, the MLB market is the the moves are so quant driven. You know, they're, they're driven by all the modelers that are out there. They put a number down to where they think it should be. And like I said, you tend to get a little bit of buyback from the arbitrage crowd. But, you know, it used to be, like I said, you know, a big ERA and XFIP discrepancy. You would see a bet on that side and you wouldn't get that comeback money. You would just get the one sided money. It would close down wherever it went to. Now you do see some of that buyback, but you know, one of the things that, that I've kind of noticed here, and, and the StatCast era has been really good for this, and, and all this data is available over at BaseballSavant.com, you know, I've sort of looked more at contact quality against, because mm-hmm. like I said, FIP and XFIP are two stats, you know, strikeouts, walks, hit by pitches, and home runs. Well, some guys just aren't going to give up a lot of home runs because they're able to command the baseball. They're able to stay off the barrel. They're able to stay off of those you know, really high octane offensive areas. And we don't have a ton of statistics, at least not the commonly used ones that understand, you know, contact quality against, they don't understand exit velocity against where (laughs) maybe guys just aren't going to give up those home runs. So that's kind of what I try to do. Like I said, taking it a little bit deeper in that I know that line move is coming. So if it's a guy that, you know, I think could go against the grain of that move, I will wait, kind of play that line when it bottoms out. Or if I think it's something where the market is correct, I'll try to get in on it, you know, as quickly as I can. But that's the thing that, you know, you talk about uh, adjusting and and adapting and all that. More and more data comes out every single season for baseball that you can try to incorporate. Some of it will work. Some of it won't. But because the modeling crowd hammers these numbers into submissions so much, you got to try to find your edge somewhere else. Man, this is so great because there, there are many ways to skin a cat. There are many ways to handicap a game and it is refreshing to hear that it can be done in baseball without like, uh, you know, a a really heavy hitting model. Um, And I got to tell you, like, if you can, and just the fact that 
you know, you can put two and two together in terms of market is moving. Uh, and it's due to, you know, the, you know, the application, the forward application of these advanced statistics. And, you know, like if you can, if you can do the detective work and figure out market moves, like, you know, that's almost even more important, more that, that that's almost even more valuable than actually having the model itself, in my opinion, because <laughs> you, you have so much more of a fundamental understanding of what the, you know, what the average, you know, velocity or the, you know, the direction you know, the, of the, of the market move is anyway, which is, you know, that's the name of the game in so many sports. So it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating that there are many ways to do this. And I guess if, if you the, were the to start, thing, yeah, go ahead. Thing I would say real quickly is, you know, like I said, I'm gambling more, you know, it's, it's a higher variance environment. If I don't have a model that's saying, the line should be this. And then, you know, I'm going to play this for whatever percentage of Kelly or, you know, whatever people are using. That's, that's the difficult part for me is that like last year was a bad year. And I know that we're going to get to talking about the the big home run surge, but last year was a bad year for me. And it's to me, I think it's because I dabble in a higher variance environment in the sense that, yeah, I'm studying the matchup and yeah, I think this is going to happen. And this is my educated guess. But obviously, you know, that that may not happen. And, you know, then I sort of question, did I miss something? Was it something where, you know, things just didn't work out for me? You know, I always like to go back through and say, okay, you know, what happened on the low velocity batted balls? What happened on the high velocity batted balls? Did I get unlucky or did I cap this correctly? And, you know, maybe things will work out better the next time. Whereas a model just takes all of that gray area out of it. It's you bet this because your edge is this. And some days I wish I had that, you know, some, especially on the bad days, I, I wish I had that where, you know, I just look at it and say, well, I, sh- I was supposed to bet this. So I did, you know, doesn't, so doesn't make yeah. for great content. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, tell you that <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, it's tough to say, Hey, my spreadsheet says this, but I mean, even, <laughs> even, even with that, I think it's, you know, and I think you hit on something important that you should be doing with every game, win or lose. If you put a wager on it, or even if it's a game that you thought maybe you were going to put a wager on and end up passing, is running things back. Like you said, was I lucky? Was I unlucky? Was this a good bet in my mind <laughs> running back through some of the – and that that's a podcast for another day because it's actually on the list is running yeah. things back, the, the box score autopsy. Expect, box score, like, deep dash. You know, expected runs, goals, points, all that. Like that is something that's going to be I – think, I think that's important too if you're even if you're just running a model. Because I think he can tell you if maybe some of your endpoints aren't right, especially if you're running into a rough patch or you think you're maybe your edge is stronger than what you're actually showing for your your wins, your ROI. But yeah, I think that I think that's a maybe a good point that's overlooked in a lot of sports is just mm. people, you know, people just they're always moving forward. Wait, you need to move forward, but they're, they're never looking back. Like, yeah, I won. I had a three and zero day. I'm a smart guy. I, I yeah. you know, <laughs> and you know, if you don't realize, maybe you've just been lucky. Like, and uh, that can be a disaster, especially if, if some smart guy like that who maybe wasn't as smart as they thought starts upping the stakes and then regression comes for their ass and all hell breaks loose. So, yeah, yeah. running it back, super important. Um, just like basic handicapping stuff that we go over in a lot of other sports that uh, kind of ran by my mind when we start talking baseball is the selling and buying. No, oh, we, yeah. we, you know, we are a huge proponent of never buying points in football. I mean, just I've read a couple of great articles. Why not? 
and I mean the math is it's black and white. It's there. You should never you should never buy points. And it's not that you shouldn't buy points. There's a price on what a point should be worth, and the book's not going to give it to you. And that's why. So we're a big proponent of that. In fact, selling runs because I think just the the way things are priced, if it's over, if it costs too much to buy a half run, a half point, a half goal. The, the inverse is going to be true. It might be value to actually sell some. So I've seen a few arguments about this with the, you know, the basically I'm asking about plus one and a half runs. You know, I, I see people that just say like, you should almost never do that. Basically you're buying runs. You should just play the money line long-term. I don't know if you've ever ran into that or if you have a philosophy on that. And I mean, the same thing goes for with maybe short money lines on a, you know, maybe it's a short favorite, a minus 120, minus 130 favorite. Is there maybe some value in playing the minus one, minus minus one and a half, selling some runs that way too? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting discussion. And, and quite frankly, something that I, I probably should be doing more of, to be totally honest with you. You know, last year, and I actually added this up here just before we started doing this show, there were 2,304 or two, what was it? 2,430 games a year, 2,429 games last season because one game wasn't played between the White Sox and the Tigers who you know didn't need to play it. <laughs> there were 647 one-run games total last year. And that doesn't really factor into account whether the favorite won them or whether the underdog won them. So you know it is one of those things where we, we feel like it happens all the time. We feel like there's a ton of one-run games out there. But you know Cincinnati had the most one-run games last year on a team level. They had 57 of them. So yeah, I think the concept of, you know, either playing the minus one and a half or, you know, just going ahead and, and taking underdogs in some of these situations, in particular, underdogs of a reasonable range, because if you run this back over the last five years and, and I use killer sports to look this up. So if it's wrong, blame them. Um, but you know, it's been very, very profitable to play minus 180 or higher favorites over the last five years. So I don't know how many of them necessarily cover the run line, the minus one and a half. But, you know, big dogs generally tend to not do overly well. But I think dogs in that, you know, plus 115 to plus 135, plus 140 range, they probably do you know, a little bit better than we would expect them to, would be my guess. Again, I haven't run that necessarily, but that's kind of the way that I'm sort of thinking about it, in particular with, you know, the, the number of one-run games that we saw. That's not the first time I've heard that. The Like yeah. minus 185 to minus 200. And I think that might just be a psychological blocker where – Good you know, average public better is like, ah, yeah, I want to lay 200 to win 100 on the Yankees tonight. Or that just scares them off. And that's kind of where you find some of the sweet spots is bets that people won't make. So I don't well, mind that. And shine, shine to killer sports or, you know, the SDQL. It's, yeah. it's, it's free, man. That's free. We don't talk about that enough. That's a My, super yeah. free website. Yeah, my guess is that in the long term, like the market is so efficient that those things are going to get smoothed out. I would guess, um, but I would also guess that there is a subset and it marries perfectly with your previous point, which is if you have a subset of high variance teams, games, spots, situations, you name it, um, that's where you want to attack this way. I, and this is, you know, th this goes back to probably... Uh, I, I now, again, I can't do this anymore just because of the way I'm playing the NBA nowadays. And just, you know, it's not practical. It's not feasible to sell points like I was doing just because of where I'm betting and, and, and how, but two years ago, the entire, 
success that I had in the NBA was based on kind of a subset of my plays where I had identified these two teams that are playing each other are high variance. And for that reason, the price that they're offering for selling points in that game is advantageous to the seller. And so I had to figure out, okay, well, am I taking a side here or am I taking the, t- the over or the under? Right? And I was like, okay, well, Team X is heating up. Team Y is, is cooling off in the, over the last five. Therefore, I'm going to bet Team X and I'm going to sell points on them. And then, you know, oh, no, both teams are heating up. Okay, well, we're going to play the over on that and we're going to sell points, right? Maximum that they would allow me. And, you know, just that little subset of what I was playing overall for the NBA was enough to put me into the green for the season for the first time betting NBA over the whole, whole year. And it was wild because, you know, you go to average normal push probabilities that would apply across any, you know, NBA sample that was random. And you looked closer at, okay, what about these ones where I had flagged high variance teams? And it was always like, not even, you know, it was just when they missed high, they missed by a mile. When they missed low, they missed by a mile. Like it was just, there wasn't much that was coming in close to the number because, you know, you were getting some of these weird outlier performances either way. I'm wondering if like, you know, you specifically, you know, tried to tie like, you know, some baseball games, you know, end in, you know, 15, 20 runs last year. Like there was plenty of those. And there's no way that there were a lot of, you know, you know, pregame totals that were anywhere close to that. And like if you can find those, you know, small examples where you have these high variance situations bubbling uh and uh and sell away, I feel like that I feel like that 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 would weave into a pretty solid positive baseball strategy. Yeah, I think so too. I think one thing you could probably take a look at with regards to that would be something like plate appearances with a runner in scoring position, you know, because if you've got a team that gets a lot of run scoring opportunities against a team that doesn't, well, you know, maybe that's a spot where you do get, you know, kind of a a bigger spread, particularly if you're talking about a favorite, or if you've got maybe an underappreciated offense, because say they're facing, you know, an above average pitcher or something like that. If it's a team that's maybe not very good, but, you know, is generating a lot of those opportunities, maybe that is, you know, one of those scenarios where you do, play a minus one and a half, play a minus two and a half, or take a dog or, you know, maybe sell runs uh, with the dog, something like that. I think that could make a lot of sense. And, you know, the thing that's interesting too is, you know, I talk about those minus 180 or higher favorites. You know, in 2015, there were only 289 such games. You know, there were 670 of them last year, 639 in 2018. So it speaks to the lack of parity in Major League Baseball right now to the point where maybe if you've got two teams that are kind of in that middle tier, Maybe that is a higher variance subset for you. I get that. I like that. It is tough to compare. It's it's almost like the the NBA when people start talking about like how far back can you do some, you know, back testing. Like do you really want to be looking at NBA games from like 10 years ago just because there was such a paradigm shift with the three ball and now like yeah, I don't know. Do you, do, you, do you think that's going to be a problem? Like when people start back testing things, basically. I mean, just the balls are juiced. I mean, that was a thing. I, mean, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, I'm sure there's still some people out there that don't think the balls were different. But that's I, insane. I, I I think they were different. And I mean, does that just kind of screw with everything? Does that make it harder to use last year's data? Or are we just? I, it, I guess are we just assuming we're going to work with the same ball again, or I don't even know what the deal is with that. It, it does make it harder, especially because you know a lot of what I do because it's you know sabermetrically based. 
I need a sample size for it. And what I generally have to go off of early in the year is the previous year's sample size. And that's what kind of got me into such a hole last year. I had no idea that all of a sudden the ball was going to be filled with Mexican jumping beans (laughs) and everyone was going to hit 30 home runs. You know, I I had no idea that that was coming. Pitchers that had decent command the year before didn't have any command last year. And, you know, pop-ups were becoming home runs. It 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 was insane. What happens this year, I have no idea. But it does make it very difficult to use the previous years because, you know, 2019 was nuts. 2018 came back down a little bit from where 2017 was. Year in and year out, everything's been different. They keep dicking around with the game, changing around all these different things. There's a lot less predictability in that. And baseball in and of itself is a very high-variance environment. So, you know, it, it's it's very tough to sort of make that decision going into a season. I'm operating under the assumption that the ball is going to be a little bit different, that guys are going to perform in most cases, more towards their 2018 or 2017 numbers. But I don't know until I actually see games start being played. So I'm going to tread much lighter early on in the year this year than I did last year. Mm, I fully subscribe to the the balls were different last year and that they were also different in the playoffs. Uh, and I feel yeah, like it was, a, it was a specific decision because they were concerned about how long the regular season games had gotten. Uh, which I would guess would lead them to, yeah, let's go back to, you know, more like the balls we had in 16, say, oh, 16, I know, but 17, home runs 18. are fun. Sure, you think but maybe they'll find a happy medium. I can't have them on juicing the balls. I, I, you know, the twins, yeah, no, I, I need the twins to hit home runs. That's, <laughs> that's what worked last year. Well, they tweaked the rules in another way, which is uh, you, your pitcher's got to pitch the full, full three outs, right? So yeah. the, the exact rule is if the pitcher ends the inning, he can be done. But if he doesn't end the inning, he has to at least face three batters or get to the end of the inning. So if he comes in with one out, gets okay. two outs, he's done. But if he doesn't end the inning, he has to face at least three batters. Okay. Okay. So we could see more exposure to that. We could see more exposure of, you know, uh, uh, the, it's taking a little bit of the specialization away. And so you're going to see a little more kind of mid to late game exposure from some relievers who are going to get hit. And you're guess. going to see a lot more first five betting because a lot of people just aren't going to know what to do with that rule change. They're just going to play first fives and take the bullpen out of the equation. Yeah. Overall, yeah, right. And overall bullpen bullpen uh, expected performance is going to drop, right? <laughs> I think it's funny. This is going to lead into the next one here, but it might save some like bad managers. Like, uh, what, what are we going to do? I, <laughs> I, I, I what, My hands are tied. I had to leave them in there. I couldn't pull them out. Those are the rules. <laughs> that that cracks me up now and that, yeah. that leads me i had that written down because i started looking at the season did i is it 10 did i count that right are there 10 new managers this year that i mean you know, obviously right, yeah. a lot of retreads but i i mean how how does that figure into your handicap and again you already said you're going to tread lightly and maybe that's that's probably the right choice i try to do that in almost every sport but i mean is that something that really is going to come into play early on or, I mean, is that something maybe you're looking at with some of these regular season win totals? Yeah, I mean, as a cop-out answer, it's on a case-by-case basis for sure. But, you know, I, I tend to, again, like I said, I, I sort of have this inherent bias or this inherent belief in teams that are going all in with analytics. You know, I mean, I caught the Brewers very early. I've played their season win total over three straight years, and they've hit three straight years because I just I thought that they would be able to maximize the talent that's there better than some of their peers would be able to because you know they're just trying different ways of doing things. When it comes to managers, 
I think the new school guys do tend to get more out of their players. They do tend to manage a little bit more aggressively. And also, too, it generally coincides with a, a shift in organizational philosophy where they are trying to use more of these advanced concepts, trying to convey these things to their players. So, for example, an opposite side thing here, an old school type of manager in Mike Matheny goes from St. Louis to Kansas City. Now, last year he was in like the Kansas City front office. He was a special advisor, you know, so he sat around with his feet up and, you know, ate Cheetos or whatever. But now he's the manager of the Royals and the Royals are terrible. And when he was the manager for St. Louis, he took over a World Series caliber team, a, you know, a perfectly run organization that was managed by Tony LaRussa. Now he goes to a rebuilding job. And that's a guy I feel like could hold that team back. And they're not going to be good anyway. I haven't done anything with their season win total necessarily, but that's one of those situations where I, I just I don't think that Mike Matheny is going to wind up being a beneficial guy for that team. Yeah. Yeah. Or another uh, another example, this one's maybe even greater. Um, you know, Gabe Kapler out in San Francisco. You know, Gabe Kapler didn't work in Philadelphia, alienated some of the veteran players because he was such a hardline sabermetric guy. He's a fitness freak. The dude's completely yoked. Bruce Bochy was the polar opposite. Bruce Bochy was kind of a laid-back dude, a veteran guy with a veteran team. That's a massive shift for them. And they are making a push towards analytics, but that's a huge shift to go from you know, a laid-back veteran, respected manager like Bruce Bochy to a guy that could have flamed out, you know, two or three months into his tenure in Philadelphia. I bet the Giants win total under. I think I don't think they're gonna be a very good team, but I also think this situation could really leak over to the field. And you know, it's one of those gray area things. Maybe I'm dead wrong, but I just think that's one of those dynamics where, you know, if if things get tough and that team faces some adversity or you know, is in a lot of close late game situations. I don't know if they're going to respond to a guy like Kapler the way they would to somebody like Bochy. Mm. No, this that's is a, great. This is yeah, this a huge, is a huge change like that. When you, that's something definitely, or like you said early on in the season, especially before they have time to adjust. I like that a lot when, when you go from just a, two distinct styles of manager, and you know that could be kind of a train wreck as the as the team gets used to it early on. Yeah, that crosses sports too, for sure. <laughs> That's oh, a, that is yeah. a thing. Um, I guess as you're putting together your priors, as you're evaluating win totals for teams, like you know, what what degree of it is just player evaluation? Are you projecting forward uh, for this season that certain players are going to make a leap in terms of their age and their development, and you know how many at bats they had? Like you know, like how do you handicap a guy like you know Jordan Alvarez for the you know for the Astros, or you know, or a guy that you know he's kind of put his his pitching you know guy like uh who's the guy for the cardinals uh who kind of put his uh his pitching game together like incredibly well flaherty jack jack, uh, jack flaherty yeah. Jack yeah. flaherty over the last half season like are you expecting or you know do you do you expect you know that those guys kind of progress progress along you know like a career arc or you know and, and how much is just kind of looking at roster composition knowing you know who moved teams knowing how much those players mattered to certain teams like is it is that how you establish a prior preseason for for some of these ball clubs? Yeah, there are so many different factors and so many different things I look at, but I do take it down to an individual player level in in a lot of cases because I sort of want to see if there's regression in the aggregate. You know, one mm, guy might okay. get better, one guy might get worse, but if I feel like multiple guys are going to get better or multiple guys are going to get worse, that has an impact on, you know, the projection I have in mind for that team. I talk a lot in the guide about you know looking for a ceiling and looking for a floor. 
and, you know, mm. just sort of thinking in my mind, okay, you know, this win total, is it where I think the ceiling is for this team? Is it closer to the ceiling than it is to the floor? And I sort of do that, you know, on an individual player level, do that on a full team level with the full composition and, and even do that on an organizational level, because I want to know if injuries happen, are these bench guys competent? You know, have they been full-time starters before for somebody to where now they shift into a bench role because they're on a better team or mm. you know, blocked by a better player? Do they have help in the minor leagues that's you know major league ready to come up? A team like the Braves, for example, they've got a bunch of pitching depth. They've got a couple of very good outfield prospects. If they run into some injuries in those two areas, I'm not that worried about them. A team like the Indians, if they run into injuries because they're still top-heavy, I'm very worried about them. So those are things I have to think about because, again, I mean, we're talking about 162 games over six months. Guys are going to get hurt. Pitchers are going to miss ample time. I need to know that you know either the replacements that are on the roster are going to be good enough or if they've got that help coming from below – and obviously, minor leaguers are tough to project for a variety of different reasons. But, you know, I just want to know, is this guy going to be somewhere in the realm of league average? Is he going to be maybe better than that? Is he going to be really bad? Those are all things that, that kind of factor into that roster composition with win totals. I love this. I love it. I think and that's love what it. makes baseball, like you said, that it's not to scare people away, but like you do need to be down at the player level because – there's there's a lot of moving parts. It's just like yeah, it's just like anything. I think a lot of people. It's funny how you you say like oh, I'm not a modeler. I don't model. But you're you're breaking things <laughs> yeah, down no, at a at a player level in baseball. Seriously, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. So, and, and, and that's again, that's why I probably won't be betting a ton of baseball unless I do find some. Just maybe I'll just quit my job and find some time for it because I'd love to again. Um, and may, maybe a good time to talk. With, like we just kind of glossed over this, but. Because we know what it is, but if you talk about your preview thing for a second, maybe because I think that might be a, a good resource for people who don't have the time to do that much research. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's uh, I will tell you up front: if you don't like reading, it's it's probably not for you. Uh, it is a <laughs> two hundred and fifty page preview. So I do a season win total write up for all thirty teams, and then I did all the division futures, each individual division, uh, AL and NL pennant, World Series. Also some player futures stuff, AL, NL, Cy Young, AL, NL, MVP, uh, and then the Home Run King, which is actually kind of just something fun that I really like to write about. But, you know, you're going to find that individual player analysis, and, and it will help for fantasy baseball players too. Uh, you know, looking at some of that individual player analysis, I look back at, you know, not just last year's standings, but the alternate standings as well. Things like Pythagorean win-loss, things like base runs record, things like third-order win percentage – because there's also that, you know, Whale, you mentioned, you know, do I look on a player level for regression? I do, but also, you know, if there's a team already in line for regression, I mentioned the Giants already. They went 38 and 16 in one run games last year. Half of their wins were by one run. And now most of their key parts in the bullpen have already been traded away. So I'm mm. already starting to think, okay, that's an under team. And their season one total has been adjusted down to, 69 and a half, I think. So there was already some built-in regression into the marketplace. But then as I looked on that player level, I was like, okay, you know, no one on the offense is really going to get that much better. The starting staff's going to be worse. The bullpen's going to be a lot worse. Got this managerial change we talked about. That's an under. You know, and if, if enough boxes are checked for me, that's where I kind of come to my conclusions. I love it. I like that. Um, yeah, and like I said, 
for the past week or so as I've found some time in my podcast schedule and I've done some reading too as well. I've consumed some baseball. I've consumed some content for baseball, a lot of it just preview stuff. And I just got to ask, like everybody, everybody has an opinion on the Cincinnati Reds. Like that's the team that's that's not not come up every time. Every time somebody's got to talk about the Reds. A lot of people are high on them. I don't. I mean, I don't even know if I need an answer from you. I mean, you can answer how you feel about the Reds, but is that something you take into account as far as teams that get trendy like that? I think we find that in the NFL. I've had that a few times where I will be able to get some value on a regular season win total, which I mean, a half game is huge in the NFL. And some of those where I can identify a team like, like everybody wants to talk about the damn Browns last year, Browns, this and that. And like people are betting the Super Bowl, And I said, well, I kind of like the under to begin with, but I'm not going to bet it yet because people won't shut up about the Browns. I'm, I'm just going to wait until it ticks up. Even if I, you know, if, if, even if I don't get a half game, I might get some juice to my advantage. And is that something you find in these uh, regular season win totals as those markets move early in the season like this? Yeah. You know, as a general rule, I, I don't like betting a lot of overs, you know, early on in the process <laughs> win totals because, <laughs> you know, well, first of all, I mean, spring training, everybody gets hurt. So, you know, the last thing you want, like, Let's say that Chris Sale needs Tommy John surgery, which, you know, he's going for a second opinion on his MRI. If you played Boston over, first of all, you're a moron because they just traded Mookie Betts. But second, you know there's that chance that Chris Sale gets hurt and everything goes down the shitter for that team. I don't like to bet a lot of overs. I bet the Cincinnati Reds over. I am drinking that Kool-Aid like pretty much everybody else. Look, first of all, they got better. And a lot of teams this offseason didn't get better. They get Nick Castellanos. They get Wade Miley, who I really like in that ballpark. Shogo Akiyama comes over from Japan. Mike Moustakis, Pedro Strope, I think really helps out in this bullpen. They didn't lose anything of great consequence because Alex Wood was hurt most of last year. So that's step one for them. I like the transactions they made. Step two, they were 12 games under 500 last year. Their run differential was only minus 10. So they played a lot more like an 80 win team as opposed to a 75 win team. Another metric is called base runs, which is over at Fangraphs where if a team goes home run, single, single, strikeout, 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 that's one run. If they go single, single, home run, strikeout, 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 that's three runs. So it's the exact same six outcomes, just in a different order to where they get three runs as opposed to one run. What base runs does is it takes that context away. It just looks at all of the individual outcomes, spits out a run differential for that team, and then comes up with a record. Well, using base runs last year, Cincinnati was 84 and 78. So they got unlucky. They got unlucky with their sequencing. They didn't get enough big hits in key situations, gave up a few too many big hits. So they were plus nine in base runs record. So again, already a team in line for positive regression. Most one-run games last year with 57. They should do better in that department this year. And then they added a lot of guys. So I like the Reds. I played them to win the Central. I played their season win total over. There is a method to the madness why all of us are on that side. At some point, maybe the value is to come back the other way. But that is one that I did feel strongly enough about to play and over early in the process. I love this. Okay, so quick quick question. We And, and by the way, we should have we probably should have given the listeners a trigger warning about that we were going to get into the Reds there because uh, I know we have some friends and listeners who were heavy duty on Reds overs last year and just couldn't believe that that didn't get that that yeah. didn't get home. <laughs> so apologies, <laughs> um, but the uh, 
uh, that breakdown is, is exactly, you know, exactly in line with our thinking in terms of how we look at preseason stuff. So I loved it. Uh, and you know, again, you know, the long tail to the under because of injuries, because of the unknown, uh, almost all of it generally leads to, you know, un- unexpectedly, um, you know, negative performance, not unexpectedly positive. So that, you know, that just, just the fact that this jives That's almost exactly with our thinking about our, about our NFL and oh, by the way, Bet you add up all the totals, you're probably going to get more wins than is possible because oh, they tend I, to choose these things to the other. I, I think I want to say I think it maybe Westgate or something like that. Like the the total number of wins added up to like twenty four fifty six, and there's only two thousand four hundred thirty wins available. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, so and that general. again, yeah, it's just comparing it to the NFL that happens every year. It's like, man, there's there's where are these bonus wins going? Who's going to get those? Yeah, and I mean, and just to keep 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 comparing to the NFL, yeah, like you say, with uh, we made that point abundantly clear in some of the previews, you know, that there is a longer tail to the to the under, even though you know zero is a stopper, just because you lose a quarterback, that's an under, like yeah, unless you're the Saints, I guess, but and it's it's the same (laughs) as like you know uh, even maybe for some of these pitching staffs, you know first or second guy, maybe even the third guy out. If you lose a pitcher, a couple starting pitchers for some extended time, that's super rough. That's got to be rough if you have an overbet. Just watching him miss four, five, six, eight, ten starts a whole season. Tommy Johns are going to – I mean, I don't think that's even what it's called. Whatever it is in your elbow that makes you – Tommy Johns. Your UCL, UCLs are going to blow. Rotator cuffs are going to come out. Like, yeah, just – you got to really feel good about an over, I think, if you want to bet it in a season this long. Uh, I have another over question for you, but before we get there, just a side, quick sidebar. Uh, it it has to be total insanity to be laying juice or buying games in win total betting for baseball, right? I mean, like 162 games, like these, they they the the you know the the sigma, you know, the uncertainty, the standard deviation on the prediction that the market has on these win totals has to be, you know, on average off by like eight wins, I would guess. Uh, so playing juice makes has to make like less than zero cents. Is that check out at all? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I, I obviously won't lay too much juice in these things. I think I laid minus minus one forty today on Boston simply because I found an 85 or 80, 84 and a half, something like that. But that was when Chris sale was going for the MRI. So I'm like, okay, this thing's probably going to move especially mm-hmm. if, you know, that announcement comes out. I will only do it if, like, I feel like there's some bit of news that's going to drive that number down. But, yeah, for the most part, I mean, you know, you don't want to lay – you don't want to lay big juice with 162 games because, you know, it's not like an NFL win total where maybe you're playing this because you've got a win or a win and a half edge, something like that, you know, if you even have one that's that big. You know, in baseball, I mean, I need to feel like, you know, I've got – and, again, I don't, you know, spit out projected records or anything, but – I have to feel like I've got, you know, several wins of cushion there to actually go ahead and play one, especially early on in the process. Yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense. It, um, it is amazing how like you can sit there and do the math, even when you're in a good spot. I've I play maybe one or two regular season win totals in baseball every year, usually off someone's recommendation or I hear it on a podcast and be like, that is a good idea. And then you start, you know, you realize like, oh, I'm in, I'm in the catbird seat here. Like yeah. this team, you know, I bet an under, and this team did tear. I think it might even been your podcast, because you do get into Pythagorean, and it was a few years back. The Rangers, I believe, were like the luckiest fucking team 
ever to grace a baseball diamond <laughs> in, in one run. And this was probably three or four years ago in one run games. Like the, their Pythagorean was so off the charts for that season. They just kept winning Seattle, every Seahawks one like. run game. Yeah. Seattle, <laughs> Seattle Seahawks esque. And I said, well, I'm just, well, that makes sense. I'm just going to bet the Rangers under. And it came through pretty easily. But as you're going through it, man, it's like, oh, man, if they go like 16 and four to end this, though, it's dead. It's totally dead. Because <laughs> there's just too many games. It makes me, it makes me not even want to remember what I bet on some of those. And the brutal thing that Rangers year was 2016, they were 95 and 67. They were plus eight in run differential. They were like an 82 win team. They got swept in the division series right away, of course. Next year, they only won 78 games, but that was one of them in 2016. I remember that vividly. A lot of us that handicapped from a sabermetric standpoint, we lost so much fucking money on that Rangers team because we were like, this cannot continue. This just can't keep being a thing. And it was like all year long. It was absolutely, it was one of the, <laughs> the worst, you know, like uh, single team betting seasons I've ever had. Cause I'm like, this team has to hit a losing streak at some point. And then they just never did until they got to the playoffs and got swept by the wild card. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was unbelievable. How and about, it, uh, boy, it does sound like the Seahawks this year. It does. It really does. For it. <laughs> it really does. Um, back to, uh, kind of team specific questions for you then. Um, if the Red Sox are going under, which I think is a pretty strong likelihood. And, um, Yankees look like a team that is struggling mightily from the health standpoint on top of who knows what we're going to get in front terms of a baseball. Like if it's in any way, shape or form, a less juice baseball this year, we could expect their offensive run production to dip. Um, does that open up the door for one of these other AL East teams to surprise positively, namely one that resides in the kind of the middle of the state of Florida? I love Tampa Bay. I love Tampa Bay before all this Yankees injury news came out. And quite frankly, I kind of upset that the injury news came out for the Yankees because, you know, I talked about taking Tampa Bay for the division and the guide. And, you know, when I even posted the Tampa Bay preview on February 19th, like bet online had plus 700 for, uh, for Tampa Bay to win the East. Oh my goodness. You'll you'll never find that price again. Uh, But I mean, I love Tampa Bay. You know, they're one of those teams again, they're very analytically savvy, so of course I like them because of that. But they just do a lot of creative things. They do a lot of things well. But this is the best pitching staff in the American League to me, quite possibly the best pitching staff in all of baseball. You know, they were third in ERA last year, first in FIP, third in XFIP, second in strikeout percentage. And they got less than 170 innings from Blake Snell, who won the Cy Young in 2018, and Tyler Glass now, who people were talking about for the Cy Young through like his first 10 starts last year. So they get, you know, hopefully those two guys back and healthy. I mean, this is the best pitching staff in baseball to me. And you know what? They don't hit a lot, but that's okay because they're a team that they've got a really bad offensive park at Tropicana Field. So it drags down their offensive numbers to play 81 games there. They were 22nd in home runs at home. They were 12th in home runs on the road. So this is a team that can hit. It's just hidden by the fact that their home ballpark is just awful to play in. You know, they scored almost five runs per game on the road, four and a half runs per game at home, but their offensive numbers don't look great. So people see a 90 or a 90 and a half or a 91 win total. They're like, oh, I can't play that with a bad offense. They win a lot of close games at home and they can win shootouts if they have to on the road. I love Tampa Bay. They're, they're a team I've played not just to win the East, but also to win the World Series. And, and I hope they get there in the you know, 25, 30 to one range. Ooh, I like it. I like that. Um... How about some unders? 
who, who is going to stink out loud this year <laughs> or who is overvalued brutally yeah. by the market? Well, <laughs> anyone I, come to mind? Yeah. I mentioned the giants is definitely an under that I do like my favorite under probably of them all is Philadelphia. Uh, the Ooh. Phillies are in that 85 and a half, 84 and a half range, depending on where you look <laughs> out there right now. First of all, I think the Braves, Mets, and Nationals are all better than them. And one of the things that you really have to consider here when you talk about season win totals is that almost 47% of the schedule is played within the division. You play 19 games against each team in your division. Now, the Marlins obviously aren't very good, but I think the Marlins pitching staff is better than Philadelphia's. So I think there's a chance that, you know, if Miami can go 10 and 9 or 9 and 10, something like that against Philadelphia, which they also did last year. I think the Braves, Mets, and Nationals have a field day with the Phillies. I think the Phillies have the worst pitching staff in this division, one of the worst pitching staffs in the National League as a whole. The offense probably should be a little bit better, but if you've got a league average offense and a bottom 10 pitching staff, you're not winning 86 games. Not in that division, not when 57 of your games are against teams that I think legitimately could make the playoffs in the Braves, Mets, and Nationals. So Phillies under is, is my favorite under season win total here thus far. Nice. Is I just a just a, another quick sidebar, like with some of these kind of absolute terrible dog shit teams, some of these win totals are pretty freaking low. I'm looking at Pirates. I'm looking at Royals. I'm looking at uh, Mariners. Like these teams look absolutely unplayable from a game to game standpoint. Uh, how are they getting to 70 wins? I don't see it. Uh, you know, is, is it, are these numbers? Is, is it? Suicide to go at these super low numbers on some of these teams that are, you know, might be just tr- horrifically bad. Was it, was the, know, I didn't even mention the Tigers, right? Oh, oh yeah, man. Oh, the, the, Tigers. the Tigers are going to be awful. I mean, they're going to be they're going to be very very bad. I kind of like Baltimore over a little bit because I don't know, maybe I'm a moron, but uh, you know, again, they're one of those teams that bought in with analytics, and I feel like year over year you find ways to get more out of the personnel that's in house. I don't think I'm going to play it necessarily. But that's one where I am kind of leaning towards the over a little bit. But by and large, the extremes on both sides, you know, whether it's an extreme under or an extreme over, I have a very hard time playing. I mean, at that point, you're basically just betting exactly how bad is this team going to be or exactly how good is this team going to be. I want a wider range of outcomes. I want something where I feel like a team's got, you know, maybe a 10-win gap between its ceiling and its floor. I don't see that (laughs) for teams like the Dodgers, for teams like the Yankees. For, I mean, Detroit, you know, could very well lose, you know, 115 games again, but I try to, I generally try to shy away from some of those. That being said, I played the Giants under, I played the Mariners under too. I think there was 67 and a half, um, you know, so that's kind of out of the norm for me. I typically like to play win totals in that 75 to 85 win range, but I played a couple of, you know, bad teams here this year. It's just, it's so hard because you're just trying to bet exactly how good or exactly how bad. I will say this. I think there's a chance that the Dodgers could have the highest Pythagorean win-loss win percentage ever this season. So I may end up playing their over 101 and a half, which is nuts for me. But their depth is just <laughs> off the charts crazy good. So I may yeah. end up playing that one. But, you know, um, by and large, I, I try to stay away from the really bad and the really good. Yeah, that's – I just pulled up the standings. I was trying to remember how bad it was. And it's the – Boy, the, the Tommy Lasorda quote, no matter how good you are, you're going to lose a third of your games. No matter how bad, you're going to win a third of your games. And, you know, it's the other third that you need to 
to take care of to make some make the difference in the season. And the Tigers, they went out and tried to prove that wrong last year. 47. <laughs> 47 is a very, very it's low number. So that is, that is, I forgot it was that so bad. bad. I, was, I was sure it was in the 50s at least. That's rough. <laughs> So well, and, and something else too, you know, to, to circle back to when whale asked me about, you know, what I kind of look for from a season win total standpoint, you know, Detroit season win totals coming up a little bit because they actually were active in the off season. They added some veteran hitters. They added some veteran pitchers, stuff like that. But you got to keep in mind, those guys are gone in July. If they do anything of consequence, they get traded. So you kind of start to think, you know, into the future, into July and say, you know, like the Marlins, for example, they signed a bunch of platoon uh, platoon bats. They signed a bunch of guys to try and help that offense out. But if they show anything, they're going to trade them because they want to get the prospects. Effectively, what these bad teams are doing is buying prospects. They're saying, okay, we're going to sign every island of misfit toys player that's out there, a platoon guy, a guy that can't defend, something like that. Hope they play well enough for us to trade them to a contender. So Detroit did that, and their win total is going up a little bit because they look better on paper but they're not going to keep those guys for the last two months of the season. So at that point, you got to start thinking, do the guys coming up actually help them at all? Or do they keep going with what they had, you know, last year that wasn't very good. So that's part of the equation too, is kind of trying to predict the future four or five months in advance. Speaking of that, (laughs) that was a good segue. Yeah. I mean, you've said, you've said how much you love Tampa. We've talked to, I've actually talked to two other people, who are in love with Tampa? Got some nice numbers on it. I mean, any other predictions that went, you know might surprise us outside of you know? I mean, the the, the ALs looking, you know, Yankees, Yankees, Twins, Astros, Rays, and who who fills the other two, three? How many spots are there now? Are there like what's what's the wild card at? We're at like nine teams, and we have all these weird playoffs again. <laughs> yeah, the, the top three division teams and the wild cards. That, that's the thing is, you know, there, there's not a whole lot of, of question marks, I think, in the American League. Houston gets there somehow. I don't know if they win the division or if they win the wild card, but I, they're good enough. Their offense is definitely good enough. Oakland will get there. The Twins win the Central. I'm actually kind of starting to lean towards the Twins over, quite frankly. Um, and then you know, I, I like Tampa Bay in the East, and, you know, the Yankees probably still make the playoffs somehow despite all the injuries that they have, but I don't think there's a whole lot of, of question marks about the five playoff teams in the American League. Mm. No, it is kind of the – it is kind of the boring team or the boring league. There's kind of a hard drop off, especially man, the central, the well, the White Sox might be the the one team that people disagree on a little, whether you know, whether the young guns come a blazing or if it's one more year off. And that could be maybe a surprise team there. I have the NLs oh God, man, the NL I suppose you have the NL Central. The NL East is a little wild too. The Dodgers, of course, get in. But is it uh Diamondbacks Dodgers? Whoever you think wins the central, which boy, there's a lot of parity there if you really want to get down to it. And then, I mean, who wins the central in the East? I think the West is pretty much decided. Yeah, I, I think I would be confident in saying the Dodgers win the West. I, I think I'm okay with saying that one. Yeah. Um, and if you know their AL opponent, the World Series doesn't cheat. I think the Dodgers wind up winning the World Series this year. Ooh, interesting. Um, I, the Central Division to me, if I had to bet a team, it would be the Cubs. But I think the Reds have the higher ceiling of the two. So I wish the Reds price was a little bit better. But as we talked about already, everybody and their brother likes the Reds this year. Um, I think that the Cubs and the Reds both have a great chance of making the playoffs. But I do think that I would take the Cubs over the Reds ever so slightly. 
Wouldn't be shocked at all if the Reds won the Central. I actually like the Mets to win the East, which is kind of ludicrous given Oof. you know how they've been here lately. If they stay healthy, to me, they have the most upside in the East. I do still like the Braves. Wow. I think the Nationals fall back a little bit. I think the World Series hangover does hit them in the sense that Steven Strasburg threw 200 innings last year, threw another 36 in the playoffs. Max Scherzer was hurt finally for the first time. Patrick Corbin off back-to-back 200-inning seasons. Their three primary relievers are all like 35 and older. I think the Nationals do fall back a little bit just because of last year's workload, but I like the Mets to win the East, which I'll either look like a hero or a goat, I think, but uh, if they're healthy, I think they have the most upside of anybody in that division. The price is right. I mean, that's a good price, so I don't I – don't, yeah, I don't hate that. That's, they were uh, ten. They, they won what? Uh, I'm pulling it up now. Eighty six last year or last year? Yeah, last year. But that was a team that you know they got really hot in the second half. And in fact, there were quite right. a few teams in the National League where they were kind of five hundred ish at the break, and then all of a sudden they took off or the bottom fell out. Last year, they were forty six and twenty six in the second half. And I don't think they're going backwards because they fired Mickey Calloway. I think it's an upgrade to go to Luis Rojas. And now they have a 33-year-old pitching coach in Jeremy Hefner, a new school guy, analytics-type guy. Again, I'm going to sort of defer to teams that are doing that. Uh, the, the Mets, you know, again, if they stay healthy, man, I, I like that team a lot. But health is a big question, and that's why I would kind of look more towards the Mets for like a division future as opposed to a season win total because the season win total I'm obviously going to bet more on with the juice. So mm-hmm. if they don't go over their win total – I'm going to be a little more pissed off as opposed to if I play a division future for a lower amount, you know, I, I've still have the risk reward, just maybe in a more economical way. I like that. Yeah. And it's something you can, it's, it's trickier to buy out of a season win total. Whereas much trickier, you know, if you, if you get a nice number on a third or fourth favorite in the division and they have a hot April, they have a hot May and you're, you're a little worried about a team that might make some moves at the trade deadline. You know, there's division futures that you can be betting all year long where you can have a couple of futures in your pocket for the same division at some nice price, you know, some nice prices and be sitting really pretty, even if there's a tight September race. No, that's an excellent point. That's, that's a very good point. And again, you know, I mean, it's, uh, that's the betting side of it, right? You know, always looking for opportunity and always trying to maximize it. So right now it's, you know, it's a lot of handicapping for the season, but you know, once you get in season, you start to get a lot more of that betting element. That's where that something like that definitely comes into play. Did you dip your toe at all in the uh, MVP uh, Cy Young or rookie of the year markets? Yeah, there are a few things that I kind of looked at. Uh, you know, I sort of liked Jordan Alvarez for the AL MVP, but you know, now he's got some knee issues and, it's always tough for me to play the player futures now because obviously if a guy gets hurt, you know, I just set my money on fire. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm trying to trying to wait it out a little bit with some of those guys there. But, you know, your Dan Alvarez, the guy I kind of have my eye on as long as he's healthy. Um, you know, Cy Young obviously opens up a little bit more now if Chris Sale winds up being hurt because he was the, fa- he was the second favorite and he was a guy that everybody was kind of looking at. Luis Severino was the fourth favorite. He's out for the year now. So the AL Cy Young market kind of opens up a little bit more here. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things, too. I have a very hard time laying low prices with guys. I've got to find you know, 15, 20, 25 to 1 before I even start thinking about you know, any of those player futures specifically. Got it, got it, got yeah, it. That's, that's the same thing with the entry thing. That's rough. <laughs> like, like you said, just lighting money on fire. I'm trying to think who it was. I bet a, I bet a Cy Young award. And I mean, it says like 
NL Cy Young and my guy got traded to <laughs> the other league. I can't remember who it was, but I was pissed. I'm like, it wasn't a terrible bet. He got traded to the other league. I'm like, well, that's like, now it's just funny to me that he doesn't even play in the right league. So I guess this, a couple I could throw out real quickly for the National League. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, if you find a good number on Clayton Kershaw, you know, in that 15, 20 to one range, uh, he looked really good in the second half of last year. The strikeout percentage went up. The stuff seems to be coming back a little bit. And obviously, you know, not that I'm big on pitcher wins or anything like that, but the voters are. And, I mean, he's on a team where he could rack up a ton of wins, a lot of strikeouts. And then another guy that I'm looking at, you know, the, the Reds' fest continues, I guess. Luis Castillo at 20-1. to 1, Strikes out a bunch of guys, high ground ball rate, which means that, you know, his home run rate should get a little bit better here as he gets a better feel for his stuff, which will keep his ERA lower. Not a great park to want to take a Cy Young in because you look, Jacob deGrom, good park. Clayton Kershaw, good park, stuff like that. Mm. But I think mm. Luis Castillo is a guy that if the Reds live up to the expectations that I and a lot of other people have set for them, Castillo at 20-1 to 1 does make some sense, especially with a second-year pitching coach uh, in Derek Johnson who really elevated that staff last year. Well, that's a good, good call. Good looks. All right, well, final prediction, World Series. Dodgers over the Rays. Oh boy, I, I I guess I would say Dodgers over the Rays. I mean, I I really like this Rays team, and when you get into the playoffs in that tournament format, you know their offense, amazingly enough, actually had better numbers in that five game series against the Astros last year than Houston did. And this pitching staff is elite. You shorten the pitching staff when you get to the playoffs. I think Tampa Bay has enough to get there this year. I think that. You know, if they had beaten Houston last year, maybe they would have gotten the World Series last season. I think Rays, Dodgers, and uh, you know that one should be a, a whole lot of fun. What's yours, Whale? You got to do one. Well, I was going to ask you, have you done enough research? You got. <laughs> I'm going. Pick? I'm going. We'll go Dodgers. Dodgers Twins, sixty-five series rematch. Ooh, Ooh. That's, the one, that's the one we lost. Which, what are you going to do, Sandy Koufax? I don't know. That's I really like the Dodgers in the NL. I haven't I haven't seen anything to dissuade me from them. Probably like like Adam said, probably winning it all. They're a very good team, and then the the AL has like three or four top teams. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun playoffs. Yeah, I like the Dodgers call a lot. Uh, I'll go Dodgers A's. I'll get Ooh. weird. <laughs> I like I the A's. I'll, I'll go I'll go Oakland Oakland Athletics, uh, repping for the city of Oakland who just lost their Raiders. Um, I like it. That's a was is that that's a rematch of the 1988 World Series, right? Well, the thing about Oakland, Probably. if if they can avoid the wild card game, because I mean that's a team with 194 wins the last two years and two playoff games because they lost the wild card game both times. So if they can beat Houston for the division, then they're going to be sitting a lot prettier than you know having to play that one game do or die situation. Yep. Perfect. God, perfect. Imagine. Yeah, you. So Kirk Gibson throwing out the first pitch. Oh my God! Yeah. You really, you really set the now scene there. I like this. Was good. This was fun. Now, now I'm like, talking. He's not excited. Like you said, we were going to do a baseball pod. I wasn't all that excited. Like, and then I started listening to pods. Now we've had this. Now I'm like jacked for baseball season. So this is ready good. to go. I think this ready to go. Nice. I love it, man. All right. Well, uh, great, great fun. Really appreciate your time, Adam. Uh, one more time, where can uh, people track down your content and your work, and uh, where can they get your uh, your guide for the season? Well, before I pat myself on the back, I want to give you guys a couple of attaboys because this podcast is exceptional. Week in and week out, every time you guys do it, 
it's awesome. The way that you guys, you know, break down the industry with your guests. I mean, it, it's, it's an honor to be on the show here. I'm very flattered that you guys asked me. So thank you so much for that. You guys do a, uh, a, a simply phenomenal job with this and, and you definitely deserve uh, all the kudos and all the accolades that you get for doing this show here. You can find me on Twitter at skating tripods. You can find me over at bangthebook.com. The MLB betting guide, you can download in PDF form over at the website, or you can find it on Amazon. Like I said, I believe it's called 2020 MLB betting season preview. Uh, but you can just search my name, Adam Burke. I, I think I've also written some sort of art history textbook or something on Amazon. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, got a couple of betting guides up there, the 2018 and the 2020. So if, if you find those, you're on the right track. <clears throat> I like it, man. Well, appreciate the kind words and uh, important for those of us in the community who are doing high quality work uh, to, you know, to help, help, help each other out. And this is, uh, this was as much fun as I'd hoped. Uh, and I, you know, I learned a ton, so appreciate all your time and, and all your insights. So best of luck this season. Yeah. Thank you guys. I appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much, man. Seriously. All right. Take care. You too.